to share a little story. My wife said I should share this story, so um, if you love it, it's all her. She gets the credit for it. And if you don't, it's my fault. How's that for being a good husband? I get some brownie points for that, I hope. So one day a father came home from work late, tired, and hungry. And his young son met him at the door, really excited to see him, wanting to play with his dad. But like many days before, the dad was tired. He found his recliner, and he checked out, zoned out. After dinner, the same thing happened. He found his recliner. He wanted to relax and just watch some TV. And his son came up to him and asked him a really strange question. He said, Dad, how much money do you make an hour at work? And the dad was kind of, well, that's a weird question, but he sort of mumbled, you know, $30 an hour. And so the boy ran off to his room for a little while, and then he returned, and the dad was still there. And he had gone into his room and, and, and found his piggy bank, and he, he came back, and he handed his dad $30. And the father said, well, what, what, what's this for? What's this for? He said, can I buy an hour of your time? Will you come home early tomorrow and just play with me? Now that's a story that's for some, that's cute, it's thought-provoking, it's an interesting perspective, but I tell you what, it's a crushing story if you're a dad who already feels like you don't spend enough time with your kids. I didn't share that on Father's Day to make any dads feel guilty or to shame any dads. I did it to encourage you. Let this message be a wake-up call of encouragement so that we don't just concern ourselves with just playing with our kids or maybe spending some quality time with our kids. More than anything, I want this message to be about encouraging you to lead your families to worship God, to be the spiritual leader in your family. There's a question I want all fathers to think deeply about. What do you feel is your greatest responsibility as a dad? What do you feel is your greatest responsibility as a father? I suspect if I asked that question to 100 dads, I might get 100 different answers. But I want to tell you that the one thing that I think is the most important responsibility that we have as fathers is to be the spiritual leader in your home. That's something that God has called us to as men, as husbands, as fathers, to be the spiritual leader in our home. In one very important facet of being a spiritual leader, there are many, but one important one is leading your family and worshiping God, authentically worshiping God. You see, we have one God. There is only one God, the one true God, the God of the Bible. When you read the Bible, you get to know God. And when we worship that one God, we are showing our family, we are, we are leading our family to do the same. The best way to lead is by example. And we need to do that as dads. And here's the reality. If you want to know what the reality is, here it is. People will always worship something or someone. So if you don't teach your kids to worship the one true God, they will worship their own gods. I'll say it again. If you don't teach your kids to worship the one true God, they will worship their own gods. And if I was holding the mic, I'd drop it and walk off the stage and tell you that's the end of the sermon. Because honestly, that is it. Everyone will worship something or someone 
it is our calling as men, as fathers, as Christians to teach that we must worship the one true God. And this sermon just isn't for dads. It's for all of us as Christians. What do people see in your life? Who's number one in your life? Do they see you worshiping God or do they see you worshiping other gods, other things? God calls that in the Bible idolatry, idol, a tree, idolatry. When you idolize other people or things in the world, God gets really mad about that. Some of us don't want to think that God gets angry, but he does. In fact, Deuteronomy 4, verse 24, tells us that the Lord your God is a consuming fire. He's a jealous God. And not in the way that we get jealous, you know, when our friend catches a bigger fish than us. But he's a jealous God. He is jealous for your worship, for your love. And he will not force you to worship him. He will not force you to love him. But he is a jealous God. In the dictionary it says that idolatry is excessive devotion or extreme admiration for something or someone. And you might think this when you, when you hear me say idolatry. If you've been a Christian, if you've read your Bible, your mind might immediately go to this idea of a carved image. You know, because that's one of the commandments. You shall not have any carved images. And is idolatry simply that? Is it just images, carved images? Because we don't really have that. Well, some, some do have some statues they like to worship, but that's not what really is the issue here. The issue here is a deeper problem. I think all those carved images that we see in the Bible that they have, and what we're going to see today when we look at Exodus 32, is really a deeper problem. The deeper problem is a heart problem. A carved image is a manifestation of a deeper problem. The deeper problem is our heart. John wrote about it. He said, we have a problem with the world, things in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. So let me tell you what idolatry looks like in our culture today. We don't see people generally in in our country, necessarily in our culture, Um, carving up images and worshiping them, bowing down to them. We don't really see that. But what we do see, plain and simple, is people worshiping themselves. In our culture today, people idolize themselves. Am I right? Yeah. People are obsessed with promoting themselves and their brand and their social media channel and how many likes they can get and how many views they can get. They idolize their houses and their boats, and their campers, and their cars, and their clothes, and their careers. And they build their egos up on how smart they are, how much money they have, how many famous people they know. Our culture is completely obsessed with itself. And it's normal in America to idolize yourself. Everybody else is doing it. Why wouldn't you? And as a Christian, you face a greater problem than ever today in that the one true God that we should be worshiping is being canceled. We live in what's called a cancel culture right now. God keeps on getting removed, canceled from our world, from where we live. And if you haven't, if this hasn't happened to you yet, it will. <laughs> when people don't like you or like what you say, they will cancel you. 
If you are not tolerant of their views, they will cancel you. And God isn't tolerant of sin that is so evidently uh, outward in America today, so America is canceling God. Our culture would like to just completely wipe out anything that has to do with God. And worshiping ourselves is what people do today, which is why fathers need to rise up and stand for God. And you need to lead your families to worship the one true God, the God who created you in his own image. And it's not easy. You need help. You need a good church to support you. You need Christians to build you up and encourage you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, may your word today touch our hearts. In fact, Lord, may it, may it rip out anything in us, any root of idolatry that's in our lives today. May it just rip it out. And Father, may you heal us. And may you bring us to a point where we will worship you and you alone. May we lead our families to do the same. Father God, we live in a culture that doesn't worship you. We are surrounded by people that worship themselves. And God, we need help. We need you. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to live in us today. Father, may we not be ashamed of your gospel. In Jesus' name. And the church said nice and loud. Amen. Amen. All right, Exodus 32, the golden calf. We've been in Exodus, if you're joining us for the first time in a little while. Exodus has been our book for a while. In Exodus 32, I didn't skip Exodus 24 through 31. We're going to come back to that. Um, that uh, is, is talking a lot about the furnishings of the tabernacle. But last week, if you were here with us, and if you missed it, you can see it on our YouTube channel and all that fun stuff. And I don't really care how many likes and views we have, just so you know. It's out there, it's there in case it's needed. But here's the thing. Moses went up the mountain three separate times for a period of 40 days and 40 nights to be in the presence of God. And the first time that he came down, he came down to what is known as the golden calf. You may have heard about the golden calf, and and for the most part, the golden calf represents idolatry. The golden calf uh, is what transpired, and we're going to see that whole story. So if you've never heard the story, but you've heard about this golden calf before, you're in for a treat, I guess. Uh, You're in to learn a little bit. This is what the golden calf is all about. I want you to take note how quickly these people, these Israelites, God's chosen people, how quickly they fell into, or I should say they walked into idolatry. They did it quickly. Forty days and forty nights, Moses was gone. He came back. Let's look at it. Verse 1, chapter 32. The people saw Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. The people gathered themselves together to Aaron. Aaron was Moses' brother. And they said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Forty days is a long time. You see a guy every day, he's leading you. And then he goes up the mountain, he doesn't come back for 40 days. I mean, I get it a little bit, right? Like, he's not been around for a while. But there's a reason for this. And they made some decisions while Moses was gone. Now, Aaron was supposed to stand up for his brother, 
but he doesn't. But here's the thing. Yahweh is, is the God that they've come to know. Yahweh is a name that they had given God, that God had, had expressed to them, and that's what, they had, that's what they had called God, this one and only true God. And they had come out of a polytheistic culture in Egypt where they worshipped many gods, but God, Yahweh, redeemed them from the slavery that they were in. He guided them through the Red Sea. He spoke to them the Ten Commandments from the mountain. He's their God, and it took 40 days, and they're already going to worship a golden calf, a statue, other gods. They said, I put, put these words back up on the screen, they said, up, make us gods who shall go before us. This is what I meant when I said earlier, people will always worship something or someone. When left to do nothing, they worshiped something. And so they came up with this idea of, you know, they went to Aaron, Aaron, you know, give us something to worship. We've got to worship something we want to worship. It's in our nature, folks. So here in verse 1, we see the first step that is into idolatry. The very first step into idolatry is impatience. Impatience. They're impatient. It's been 40 days. They haven't seen them. God's taking too long. Maybe you've experienced that in your life. You've prayed for something, and you don't get an answer. You've prayed for a week. You've prayed for, you know, three weeks. You've prayed for 40 days, and you're not getting an answer, and you're getting impatient. So you start worshiping what you know, what you want, what you like, because of your impatience. Be careful that you don't walk into idolatry because of your impatience. We also see in verse 1 the second step into idolatry, which is following others. It says in this text, this very first verse, they gathered, the people gathered themselves together. Well, what people are that? Are, are those? Who, who is this that's, that's gathering the people together? Well, you know who they are because you've been in a school before, you've been in a workplace You've been in a neighborhood. There's always a group of people that are troublemakers. Am I right? That like to antagonize. That like to stir up the trouble. They like to gossip. Right? They're, they're in every single organization and every group. Well, these people went to Aaron, and they rallied everybody together. You see the same thing at the cross when you look at the, when, when, when Jesus was crucified. It was these religious leaders that gathered the people together to have Jesus crucified. Well, in verses 2 through 5, it says that they gathered everyone together and they convinced Aaron to do this thing with the golden calf. And so they all brought their gold. They took them out of there. They took the earrings out, all the stuff that they had uh, accumulated in, in Egypt and, and then they and plundered really the Egyptians. And they brought it all to Aaron and they said, make us a God. Verse 4, he received the gold from their hand and Aaron fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Man, just like that. I remember the first speeding ticket I got. At least I think it was the first. I got a few when I was younger. I've been clean ever for a while, though, so. But I was 17, and I was going 50 in a 35 on Gratiot in Mount Clements. Maybe you've driven down that before. 
So I heard if you go to court and, then, and, and you don't plead you know, innocent, but you plead you know, guilty with responsibility or something, I forget. I don't even know if they do it anymore. Um, but I did that, okay? I, I didn't want to you know, get the ticket. So I go there and I go before the judge and the judge says, you know, let's hear it. You know, what's, why were you speeding? And this was my excuse. I said everybody else was going 50 and I was just going with the flow. He said, son, <laughs> you were speeding, you got caught, you're guilty, pay the fine. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> I learned my lesson that day. Don't go with the flow if they're guilty. Don't follow others just because the majority is doing it. Because they were guilty. And I got caught. I'm sure these Israelites, some of them were going with the flow. Everybody else is worshiping the golden calf. And they got caught up in this idolatry because they followed others. That's the third step in idolatry. Now, I want to give you an understanding of how bad it was. Let's read verse 6. Verse 6 says, They rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings. They brought peace offerings to this golden calf. And the people sat down to eat and drink and they rose up to play. Now that may sound nice, but it was not. In fact, I read some commentaries and found out that one uh, Rabbi uh, Rashi explained this verse in saying that this idolatry included acts of immorality and murder. That's what it meant to rise up and play. Sexual immorality and murder. That's, the con that's what was going on here. Now, I'm sure that some of those people never thought that they would take place or take part in committing murder or sexual immorality. But they did because they were following others and they gave in to the temptation to do what everybody else was doing. I think that's a big thing when it comes to walking into idolatry. It's falling into that temptation. Just giving in to that temptation. First, it's our impatience. Second, it's following others. And third, it's giving in to temptation. I had a friend once. He dabbled in marijuana in high school and in college. And then, before it was too late, we found out that he had got hooked on crack and it ruined his life. Because he gave in to the temptation. Temptation is a tough thing. If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which I encourage you to read later on um, this week as a follow-up to this message. 1 Corinthians 10, actually Paul talks about some of the things that happened to the Israelites because they got involved in idolatry. Several times this happens to them. But here's what's really important. Here's the reason why Paul writes it. 1 Corinthians 10. I'll put this up on the screen for you. Two verses, 6 and 7. These things took place as an example for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He quotes that verse to point out that their idolatry caused them to get into, and he lists the things that happened to them, like serious consequences. We'll see a little bit of that in a minute. 
But why does he write it? For us as Christians today to see this as an example. Why do you read the Old Testament? Why am I preaching through the book of Exodus? Because it's an example for us as Christians today. It's important for us to know what happened to them and what could happen to us. And so we don't want to fall into temptation. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is just a few more verses down, verse 13. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's something you should probably memorize or at least highlight in your Bible. So that way when you come across it, you remember, you remember that no temptation has overtaken you. That's not uncommon to man. But God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. I love that. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with every temptation, he will always provide a way of escape so that you can endure it or walk away from it. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Isn't that a wonderful promise that God has for you? You want to claim a promise from God? You claim that promise. That if you have some kind of temptation in your life, if you're facing a temptation, that God has a way out. Walk with God. He's got a way out. There's a way out of idolatry. And that's the way. With God. Now at this point, you might be a little uncomfortable if you realize that you've been caught up in some idolatry. Maybe you've been impatient with God. Maybe you're you know, falling into this cancel culture concept that, that's going, you know, maybe you've given into temptation. You're not walking with God like you should. But this sermon is kind of waking you up. Some of the stuff that's been said is like, ah, oh, I gotta make some changes. I gotta get out of this. Well, here's your rescue rope. Your rescue rope is in Exodus 32. Moses is coming down the mountain. (laughs) And he's going to show us how to get ourselves out of idolatry. All right? Hold on to your seats, okay? This isn't isn't what you're used to hearing, okay? They might not preach this in kids' church. (laughs) Verse 19, as soon as he came near the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing, and Moses' anger burned hot. And he had those, those Ten Commandments, the two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, and he's walking down the mountain, and it says that he, he broke them at the foot of the mountain. I mean, he's ticked. And he takes the calf that they had made, and he burns it in the fire, he grounds it down to powder, he scatters it on the water, and he made the people of Israel drink it. Moses has righteous anger. We call this righteous anger. When God gets angry, it's righteous anger. Sometimes when we get angry, it's not righteous anger. But when God gets angry, it's righteous. When Moses got angry here, it's righteous anger. He sees how serious this sin really is. And he has an urgency to stop it. There's an urgency to get out of this. And that's important. That when you look at your life, if you realize that you're involved in some kind of idolatry, that you're worshiping something, or you you have something in your life that's more important than God, right here, see how serious it is, and, and, and stop it. Verse 24, he goes to Aaron. Aaron says, let any, Aaron repeats, he says, let any of you who have gold take it off. They gave it to me, and get this, Aaron says, I threw it into the fire, and out came the calf. (laughs) Like 
like a, like a tornado hit a junkyard and created a 747 airplane, all right? It doesn't happen like that, right? It's not random, not by chance. He did, back in verse 4, what did I read? I read to you verse 4, and it says that Aaron took a graving tool and made the calf. So he's lying to his brother. He's making excuses. He's trying to justify his behavior. He failed. He messed up. We all mess up. Fess up. Own it. Don't make excuses. That's a big step of you getting out of idolatry if you ever get caught up into it. Then the next part is a little harsh. Verses 26 through 28. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. So all the sons of Levi, he's a Levite, he's from the tribe of Levi. These are the priestly tribe, which we'll see here in Exodus. He gathered them around him and he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you. Go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Verse 28. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. There's 2.5 million in the camp. 3,000 died. The chapter ends, by the way, in verse 35. It says, the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf. So not only was there this, this, uh, the Levites going through the camp with the sword, but there's also a plague that falls on them. Now, you have to understand what's going on here. Moses is doing this hard thing. God had instructed him to do this, to remove the evil. This happens, 1 Corinthians 10, you see it. It happens more than once. They had to deal with the evil. Now, we're not called today, obviously, to kill those who are caught in idolatry. We're called to rescue those and help them turn from from it. But these Levites, they go through the camp, and you have to understand, they're not just, you know, Highlander or some, you know, whatever was your favorite movie of a sword-fighting movie. You know, they're just not taking down every person they see. They're observing. Anyone who repented was in the clear. But if there were people that were still worshiping the false gods, then they died. They were removed because of their evil. Because God wants pure worship. He wants them to worship him and him alone. So if we get caught up in idolatry, the lesson we learn from this is that if we look at our life, we say, you know what, I'm worshiping something that's not just God. I'm worshiping myself, I'm worshiping my things. Some things are more important than God. Then get serious, number one. Own it, number two. Don't make excuses. And number three, remove it. Because God's a jealous God. God is a jealous God, and he wants you to worship him only. Now, let's say you're, you're doing pretty good. You, you, you look in the mirror, you say, you know what? You look in your heart, and you say, you know what? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm worshiping God. I don't have idols. I have hobbies. <laughs> I have things I like, but I don't like them as much as I love God, and, and I'm, I'm faithful. But make sure you stay alert. Make sure that you prevent idolatry in your life. And how do you do it? There's lots of texts in the Bible that talk about it. In Deuteronomy 12, specifically, God is interested in that pure worship. Don't mix in any other nations and how they worship their gods. Don't mix it in with what I'm teaching you on how to worship me. 
Do you realize in America today, there's a lot of mixing going on? The new age spirituality that's happening. It's a little bit Christian. It's a little bit Buddhism. A little bit mysticism. It's a little bit of everything. And they put it all together and then they want to be worshiping God with all of that. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. It's all God or nothing. And we have to be very careful to guard ourselves against that. Against those routines, those rituals that, that people do, those, you know, pure, pure Christianity. That should sound right to you. You live in Michigan. Pure Michigan, pure Christianity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10.14, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. So to prevent idolatry happening, you flee from it. You run from it. And then in 2 Corinthians 6.14, he says, Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? You should know your relationships can lead you into idolatry. You may think you're good and you're fine, but then you get involved with someone, whether it's romantically or whether it's business partnership. The Bible is really clear. Don't do that. Don't get yoked up because they will lead you into idolatry if they are worshiping themselves or other things. King Solomon is a perfect case study. He loved women, all kinds of women. And some of those women worshipped other gods. And he started setting up statues of those gods, and he, it pulled his heart away from God. So be careful of the relationships that you have. Keep yourself from idolatry. So dads, we have a responsibility to lead our families to worship God. Every dad leaves a legacy. Whom will your children worship? What will your children worship? And I think a lot of that depends on you. I was told this a lot growing up. Matt, you can do anything you want in this world. Matt, you can be anything you want to be. And I loved hearing those. Did anybody else grow up hearing that? You can be anything you want to be in this world. You can do anything you want to do in this world. And I'm going to be honest with you, we live in America, and it's a privilege that we have. It's, it's pretty true. We have a lot of opportunity here in this country. But let me tell you a story about someone you may or may not know. Back in 1955, there was a young man named Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said this on his radio program. He was just 37 years at the time. He said, if I didn't believe the Bible and the gospel of Jesus Christ, if I didn't believe it held the answer to the world's most baffling problems, I would go back to the farm and the rural life that I love and I would spend my days in peaceful solitude. You see, Billy Graham had an opportunity maybe to just go back and live a, a simple farming life. But he chose to do something different because he realized that by preaching the gospel, the good news about Jesus, he could change lives. God could use him to change people's lives. And he had a choice to be anything he wanted to be, to do anything he wanted to do. And he could have went back and lived as a farmer in solitude. But if he did that, we would barely know his name. Now, some of you don't really know Billy Graham's name. 
and some of you know it very well. But let me just tell you a little bit about him. He preached the gospel, get this, for seven decades. For 70 years, he preached the gospel. When he passed away in 2018, at almost 100 years old, he left an amazing legacy as a father and as a preacher. He preached during times of war, during times of peace, during times of racial unrest. He preached in the midst of financial crisis, after the assassination of JFK, when the astronauts landed on the moon. He preached through the administrations of 12 different presidents in America. And no matter what happened in our world, Billy Graham preached. And now his son preaches. And his family shares the gospel. And his foundation continues the work. Today, there are thousands of people that will tell you they got saved by Billy Graham's preaching. That their eyes were opened and their lives were changed because he preached the gospel. Now, it's unlikely any of us will ever have the impact that Billy Graham had. He was certainly unique. But he didn't preach his own gospel. And he didn't worship his own God. He preached the same gospel that we preach today. And he worshiped the same God we worship today. And he preached Romans 1.16 many times. And that says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Christians, I hope today you see the power and you know the power of the gospel. And dads, I hope today you're encouraged to lead your families by example. Church, we worship the one true God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word today. May our hearts be ever changed. May we be encouraged by the life of Billy Graham and the many others that have walked before us all the way back to the time of Moses. May those examples frighten us but may they also lead us into a, a proper reverence and love and admiration. May we be obsessed with you, God, and you alone, worshiping only you. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.